So we are in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. I'm going to pray, and we'll look at our passage for today. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you uh, for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this time that we have together. Uh, Lord, we thank you. Um, just you're so good to us. And Lord, as we continue uh, through this letter of Ephesians, uh, Lord, this, this little letter is packed with so much. And so we thank you for the intimacy that we have with you uh, through the work of Jesus on the cross. We thank you that um, he came and he lived a perfect life, that he went as the perfect sacrifice for our sins, uh, that by your grace through faith, we can enter into this relationship with you. And so we pray, Father, that uh, for those of us um, who have a relationship with you, Lord, we ask that you would um, just uh, continue to show us and work with us, Lord, and lead us, Lord. Help us to um, just to see what it means to follow after Christ. Um, this book goes into so many areas that, um, that are really the nitty-gritty of our lives, and so, Father, we, um, we just ask that you would, you would help us. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. Okay. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. <clears throat> uh, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, be obedient to those <clears throat> who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart with good will render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. And Father, we do thank you uh, for your word. We ask that you would lead us and guide us now. And it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen. All right. So uh, it's, it's important to remember that as we continue through the letter of Ephesians, that this letter is written to fans. It's, it's written to those who have given their life to Christ. It's written to those who are believers. Um, this is not a, a letter that's written to sort of evangelize people to, to win them to Christ, although it certainly can do that. Um, this, this letter is written to a group of people who <clears throat> were, were pagan. They they. Before their life in Christ, they were not Jews. They were not raised with sort of a, a biblical worldview. And they're just coming to sort of understand that Jesus is the Messiah and the implications of that. These are people who were totally and radically distinct from Judaism. And the gospel made it to them in what is modern-day Turkey. And, and they're having to orientate or their whole lives to this new way of living. And there was a lot of, of questions and concerns um, they have no idea what God expects of them in this life of theirs. And so by way of review, if we were to sort of go back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, we read this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children 
and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God, a fragrant aroma. So here we have this like, hey, we want to imitate God. We want to seek who God is, what Jesus did in his life, how he lived his life, and that we're to, to mimic this in our own lives. A few verses down in verse 10, we have this phrase, uh, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And so here these people are. They're totally pagan, totally a part of any sort of like biblical worldview. And I'd say the same for us, that there's this whole shift in their thinking that everything that they were raised with, how they sort of responded to things was completely contrary to what the Bible said. And so here's this sort of this, this, this phrase that I find so helpful that it's like that we're trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Like Daniel and I talked this week. I, I, can I have permission to share about part, you know, part that I'm going to talk about? Yeah, see that we got it. <laughs> it was really about me. But we were kind of talking, and he was like, you know what? Like, I've disagreed with you over the years, but you're human. Like, you're just, and I'm like, thanks, Daniel. Like, thanks for seeing that I'm just human and that, like, I make, we all make mistakes. None of us are, this is a journey. Like, this is like, we're, we're going through this. But it was just so nice for him to say, like, dude, I've, I've disagreed with a bunch of decisions you've made, but like, but I like appreciate you and you're humble and you're just like kind of working through it. Like, thank you, Daniel. Like I said it to him on the phone, but I'm like, uh, it was, it, it meant a lot. And so this verse is like, this is, this is the Christian life. Like we're all sinners. We encounter God. We learn about Jesus who loves us, who died for us. And, and he wants to sort of lead us. And it's, it's a process that we learn what it means to live a life that's pleasing to him. And I, I always think of when I read this, I think of, uh, the police officer I used to hang out with, that he was a canine officer, so he always had these dogs. He'd have them for like just a short little while. And he's like, it's always sad. You spend your whole like 24-7 with these dogs. And just when the dog figures everything out, it's time to retire them. And I think that's how it's going to be in the human life. Just when we get it figured out, it means like, oh, we're in heaven now. Like we got it. Like we're no longer there. Like we transitioned. And and so it's this process that's going to go until the day that you die. And then in verse 18, we read, and do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So this idea of allowing our lives to be controlled by God, allowing the Spirit of God that resides within us as believers to be the one who leads us, who guides us, uh, that as he convicts us, as he prompts us, that we would be sensitive to his voice and that we would yield our lives and live them the way that he asks us to do. And then in verse 21, he says, be subject to one another in Christ, that, that, that all of us in Christ are to subject ourselves, to order ourselves under other people in our lives. And he goes into this area of like marriages, family, work, all of these like where the rubber meets the road areas of our life. And there's this pattern that has sort of been developed going through these sections um, Paul is writing a world in, to a world where the structure of life was very, very harsh. And so if we were to back up and just sort of look at these categories of people that he's addressing, he addresses the wives, then he addresses the children, and then he addresses the slaves. If we were to be just sort of like realist and transport ourselves back into that culture, what Paul said didn't really change a whole lot because in that culture, 
these people were absolute sort of like property uh, to the to the head of the household. And so what Paul writes is radical. So he writes for them to like, as they're in these positions, that they're to to have this mindset and in their heart set to be pleasing to God in, in the situation that they find themselves. And then when you look at the, 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 like the coupling, pairing of these things, what he says to the husbands, what he says to the dads, and what he says to the slave owners is super radical. It, it super cuts against the culture of that day. And, and so today we, we enter with uh, children, obey your parents and the Lord. So we're getting to this next sort of, this, this next category of sort of family life. And I'm not going to get past the first word before I make some observations. So observation number one, we're going through a book of the Bible. This is a letter. This is a, the letter of Ephesians that was written not to just a church. It was written to a group of churches that was designed to go into the town of Ephesus. They would receive it. Likely the scribes would then copy it and then send on the original to the next set of churches. And it was designed to sort of go around to that whole region of churches. So it's a, it's a letter that was to be read to the church, the, the gathering of people when they were there. And so the very first observation is children are being addressed. And so this kind of cuts against our culture and how we sort of uh, view how church is to be done. Um, O'Brien, in his commentary, he, he writes this, It is obvious from these exhortations that the apostle thinks of, a local, of local congregations as consisting of whole families who come together not only to praise God, but also to hear his word addressed to them. As the household tables are read out, children too would learn of their own Christian duties as well as those of other family members. And so the implication is that as the word is going out in this setting, that there were children in this setting. We offer Sunday school classes to kids under 12, but kids are always welcomed in the sanctuary. Like they're, they're here. They're intentionally in the sanctuary during the time of worship because ultimately children are going to become what? Adults. And we're a family. Like our, we live in a world that is so like, I think the, the, like the parachurch idea of like, okay, there's a section for single women. There's a section for divorcees. There's a single for if you're under 18. There's a category for if you're 18 to 22. Then there's the young adults, if that's like 25 to this. The, the whole thing is, is that every generation needs every generation. Um, last summer nights was so funny to me. Uh, not, this, not this one, but last one. And the reason it was so funny is because Gideon was coming home like every day talking to us about his new friend. So for my, my son Gideon, who's 11 years old, so last year he would have been 10 years old. He's coming home every day talking about this new buddy of his. And I'm like, kind of, you know, our church isn't, we're not a mega church, so it's like, it's pretty easy to figure out who's who. And I'm like, okay, he knows Caleb. Like, Caleb, he knows all the Fredericks boys. Like, I'm kind of like, scrolling through like the potential people. And, and so about the second or third night, I was like, hey, Gideon, can you just tell me who this friend is of yours? He's like, yeah, it's Jeff. I'm like, Jeff? Jeff Tolstad? He's like, yeah, Jeff Tolstad. So <laughs> Jeff Tolstad, I don't, I don't know how old your brother is back there, Scott, but 
let's just say Jeff is, he's retired, and <laughs> Gideon is not yet in the working force. And, and it's just like beautiful because it's like, you know what? Jeff needs Gideon, and Gideon needs Jeff. Like, they're buddies. Like, it's wonderful. And I hear, I hear, you're, I don't know who said amen, but if you said amen, but you're the, you're the queen of having friends of all different ages, you know? And it's beautiful. Like, a few. I mean, it is, it's, it's just a beautiful thing that, that, that we, as a gathering of believers, we need one another. Like, we, we need one another of all ages, of all different stripes, of all different economical backgrounds, and whatever your background is, wherever you came from, in Christ, we're one. And so, that's all from children. The, the thought of the Apostle Paul as he's writing the local church is that he's addressing children also. Like, he's gone through husbands and wives. Now he's talking to the children who are there. And so now, when he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Um, the idea, this word, uh, children, this is children in the home. Um, the assumption here, I think, in the most part, is that this is like the children in the home in a, a healthy situation. Not every um, f- family life is, is necessarily like the, the most healthy, but I think... It, in this setting, the idea is like mom and dad are believers, the child is a believer. In this, obey your, your, your parents in the Lord. And there's that sort of that, uh, you know, that little like phrase there, like in the Lord. I know it's hard for you, but it's, we just think it's cute. Wes is cool. Like, it's like, don't he? Like, it's just terrifying when you're a parent, they need a little squeak, and we're like, oh, it's just super cute. Um, in this passage of all passages, he's totally welcome here. Like, this is like, um, uh, like this setting is like, no, like the posture of the child, that the child receiving this text, the child is supposed to, 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 to hear the text, understand the text, understand that they are a sinner who needed a savior. And now the assumption is that these children have received Christ as their savior. And that as a, as a child, they have an obligation to live their life in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. And the way they do this is for them to like obey their parents. Um, I don't think that the, the spirit of the child should be that of to cause friction or division uh, within the family. And I could expand on this. And I do believe that this like goes to all ages in Christianity. I think Christians are not supposed to be known as individuals who are individuals who are rocking the boat and being divisive and causing friction and uh, complaining. We should be people who understand that we're accountable to our creator. The creator has placed us in this environment we, which we find ourselves and that we are to be people who are praying and seeking to be uh, good good citizens. First uh, Timothy 2, 1 through 2 says this, First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority. And this situation, that context was horrible. I mean, these dictators, these leaders, these people who are in authority were vicious, cruel, evil people. And so Paul is telling them, pray for them. And the reason that you're supposed to pray for them so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity, that we are supposed to be peacemakers. This is for all Christians. And this boils down all the way down to the home, um, to a child that's under their parent. But I don't see God ever 
encouraging us to violate his, his word for the sake of obedience. Um, and this would, this would sort of apply in this situation too. Um, and he says, for this, this is right. And so this can be like very difficult, especially if we look at a situation for like, um, like that there are believing children who live and exist in homes that are unbelieving. And so, so to navigate those situations is, is difficult. Now, I did ask permission from the next person that, because there's an individual at our church that I've always had a tremendous amount of respect for, and it's Melanie. And, and I asked her for, like, I legitimately, I didn't do the Daniel thing. Like, I, like, I actually, like, um, but, like, I, I remember the first time, like, I met Melanie. We were at, like, it was like a midweek Bible study in the back room. And she was out here as, like, a 16-year-old young girl. And I don't even know how she got here. Like, she got dropped off. She's, her dad was not a, is not a believer. And she was like, I'm in this environment, but even in this place, I'm going to honor God with my life and I'm going to commit myself to God and I'm going to be there. And, and so there are going to be young people and there could be young people in our midst that find themselves in homes where, where there are non, like unbelieving parents. And it's extremely difficult to be in that situation. So we as a church need to figure out how can we like encourage when we encounter people like this uh, because it's right. Then he goes on to the second part, honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And so the second one, this, uh, the first one is really tricky. Like, it's very easy for us to sort of take this and interpret this and to say, okay, this is like, while we are children, while we are sort of minors in the home of our parent, you can take that in our context and you can apply that. Um, in their context, I don't know that, like, there wasn't, like, a necessarily, like, an age of 18, and I'll explain this in a little bit. Um, but for our context, I feel comfortable saying, like, the next phrase is, like, okay, as somebody who came from a diff- difficult childhood with difficult parents, sort of, like, is, is the Bible calling me to obey a parent who is asking very, like, unreasonable, unhealthy, un- unbiblical things of me. And, and that is, no, like, my, my commitment is to the Lord. But then the second phrase, verse 2, honoring your father and mother, this doesn't matter what your home life is or was. I think this is to everybody. And this was very difficult for me, for me as a child, uh, you know, for, like, when I look at my son Gideon to realize it's like, oh, man, like, that's, when I look at Gideon, that's how old I was when I had to go to court and testify against my mother um, for the abuse that was happening. I'm like, how in the world did I do that? I mean, that was just the path I was on. And then as I became a Christian later in life and then had to sort of grapple with, the, okay, what is this? What are these verses? Like, how do they fit and apply in my life? And so for my mom, as much as I tried to reach out and forgive her and sort of recognize that there's never going to be a healthy relationship there, the best way that I could honor my mom was to live my life for the Lord and to, to, to break the chain and the, the cycle that existed sort of in my family. And then my dad, it wasn't that my, like, like I'm very grateful for my dad. Like my dad and I, we're good, we're, we're, we're buddies. 
But if you were to rewind the tape going back 10, 20 years ago, it, it, it wasn't. It was strict. Our, our relationship sort of held on by, by a, a string for, for many, many years. And then I thank God that, that God gave my dad sort of uh, Alzheimer's because my dad being the exception in so many things, but I think it's uh, my dad didn't know love. He didn't know kindness. He didn't know family. He, he, all of these things he didn't understand. And so I think he held them back. But with Alzheimer's, then all of a sudden, these were the things that, like, normally it's the other way around, that people with Alzheimer's get real nasty, like verbally use language. Well, my dad had all that stuff before. And then the thing what he didn't know how to give was, like, love and affection and kindness and gentleness. And then suddenly in Alzheimer's, the sweetest, kindest, gentlest man and so I thank God for this like last seven years that I had with my dad that we like just ended, be- I mean, beautifully. Um, but, but in these moments, figuring out how do I live my life pleasing to God? What does it look like to, to live my life in an obedient way? What does it look like to, to live my life in a way that's honoring my parents? Um, this should be at the heart of, of every like person who's following after Christ. And, and we say it comes with this promise. It says that this is what God desires of you, and it might be difficult, but I believe at the end of the day, somehow as, as we seek to live our lives pleasing to God in these relationships that sometimes get backwards where the, char- the, ch- the children have to be, I almost said the, ch- the charents, which I, like maybe I can make a new word, like, like children who function as parents <laughs> over their parents who are actually children. Like, it's a very difficult thing. Now we shift over to fathers. Uh, he says fathers, and certainly the mothers would be there, but in this environment, it was a different, like, if you want to go down a rabbit hole this week, you can Google uh, pater familias. This was a Roman law that was the rule of law during this time. So during this time, the, the, the head male in the home, he had absolute total authority, totally and completely. If something was going wrong with a child, he had the right to just to go take the child out into a field and execute the child. He could abandon the child. He could sell the child into slavery. He had absolute rule. Like, this was a sanctioned dictatorship within the home. There was nothing that you could do about it. It was part of, like, uh, Rome keeping the, the, pay, the peace of society. So if you want to go down, I mean, you can go down the whole Wikipedia article, uh, Pater Familias. So this was the reasoning of the day. And so Paul comes in by the Spirit to these men who have now given their lives to Christ. And he said, I have a radical thought for you. Treat your wives and your children like they're human. Like, that's pretty radical. Treat them like people who are of value. And so he says, do not provoke your children to anger. It could be to wrath. Um, and this idea of like a harsh, cruel father he's, that, that had this, they could do whatever. He's basically saying, hey, Slow down, Turbo. Like, easy, like, why don't you just dial it back a little bit? Why don't you treat them like you're supposed to be like mentoring them and helping them become men themselves and to become the kind of men that you want to 
uh, date your daughters, not in your own family, obviously, but you get the idea that I'm saying there. It's like, don't, don't provoke them to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So this, this whole idea of like spiritually within the home, be a leader. You as a father in the home, submit yourself to the word of God, to the scriptures, to your, to your creator, live your life in this way where you're trying to be pleasing to him, recognizing that you're not going to be perfect, which means that when you screw up with your kid or your kids, you say, you know what? I was wrong. God convicted me. I've repented before him. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? Like a parent can do this to a four-year-old. A parent can apologize to a four-year-old, and you should. I can't tell you how many times I've had to apologize to Gideon because in Gideon, like, I see my mini-me, so I naturally assume me and him, and so I'm so often I'm wrong. And I'm like, Gideon, I'm really wrong for jumping to a conclusion about you based on who I am because I see me and you. And so, of course, I think you did the wrong thing. But you had a better, you have a better mom than I did, and you don't, you know, like, so like I've like in particular with him, I've had to like apologize a bunch. I probably owned Grace and Ellie apology. I don't know. They're looking at me, kind of smirking. But, but so this idea of like bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And when I read this, it brings me back to a story. When I was a Navy SEAL instructor, there was this moment in time. There's like pre-hell week where there's like just hundreds of kids. Like they're, I mean, they're, they're young adult males. And, but it's like for every one instructor, there's like 30 or 40 guys and it's like their ants like everywhere and it's easy to like get distracted. And, and there was this one time before hell week where a kid did something and I told him to drop down. So he's in the push-up position. Um, like, Right, in, like there's like the big buildings of the compound, and the second story is like the the commanding officer in the XO's office that they, of course, have the like the ocean view, and and uh, that for those civilian types here, it's like the number one and number two guy and the whole command over everybody. And so I dropped the kid down, but then the whole class moved to the other side of the berm over by the ocean, and so you know Gunner, who's like very distractible, I'm like dealing with what I'm dealing with over there, and the. Uh, Ryan Zinke, who's like a congressman now, he sees this kid like in the push-up position for like 30 minutes, like with nobody around him. He goes down, he tells the kid, he's like, hey, recover. And the kid's like, no. And he's like, instructor Hansen dropped me down. And it's like, like so then he refused to re- recover for the very senior guy. And then Zinke comes over to me and he's like, hey, Gunner, like what's going on with the kid? I'm like, oh, the kid, like where is, like I totally like forgot about the kid. And he's like, I just remember he put his finger on my shirt and our shirt said UDT seal on the first row. And on the second row, it said instructor. And he's pushing his finger into the instructor part. And he's like, don't forget the instructor part. And I'm like, I'm like, sir, this wasn't like really this, really, this wasn't malicious. I just, we went over here and I forgot. Like I, and so the kid recovered and then I had to hammer him because it's like, dude, this number two guy like tells you to get up, you get up. Like, but so when I read this, the discipline and instruction of the Lord, this is like, like practically speaking as fathers, the Bible is encouraging us to, to be examples. So much of life is caught, not taught, to be humble, 
to be loving, to be gentle, to be firm, to, to sometimes discipline is needed. Like hard discipline is needed sometimes, especially if you're raising a kid like me. Like it's like, uh, but we, we have to be spirit led. And I, and I think that this is what Paul is saying in this one sentence is so radical from the context and that we as men need to be men that lead and love like our, our Lord did. That we have a father in heaven who led us to Christ by his kindness, his gentleness, according to Paul in Romans chapter 2. So then moving on. Now we got to deal with, like, okay, like we, now we got to deal with slavery. Um, like, so we come into slavery. Like moving sort of quickly. Like there's, the, the Bible deals with slavery that existed in their time. Um, we, of course, live in this nation that has slavery in our history. Um, slavery of the Bible and slavery of our time, distinctions. Like, like big, big, big distinctions. Um, obviously, in the last three years, um, I, I don't even know that I've processed all my thoughts, but it's, it's like, like on one side of the coin, it's like, I, had, I am like a Californian. Like, California has no history of slavery. Like, I, I, I was just raised, I went in the military. The military is like, well, everybody bleeds red, and there's, there's like, like, it wasn't really a thing for me. And then on the other side of the coin is, like, our history, like, of our nation. There is some big thing. Like, like we buried my dad at the Naval Academy in July. One of the things that we did is we, we did a trip out to, like, uh, Mount Vernon, which was George Washington's plantation, and to do that tour and to realize that, like, man, this dude had, like, a city under his control that was all slaves. And they handled it very, like, you know what I mean? It's like, like it's just kind of like we can't deny the history of our nation. Um, I do think historically that as Christianity spread, slavery fell. But when we look at slavery within the Bible, and when we come to these sections, the Bible sort of is dealing with the reality of what existed. And where, um, where the Bible kind of differed with slavery, there was a bunch of different options. Um, number, number one option that slavery, like you could be taken into slavery is because of war. Like if your nation lost a war, we think of, of, of the, if you go to the Bible book of Daniel and you see that Daniel, along with a whole bunch of people, were taken into captiv- captivity uh, because of war. You could be sold into slavery. Um, for this, I, we would point to Joseph, who we're about to get into uh, as we get back to Genesis in a couple weeks. We'll be looking at the life of Joseph, that his brothers were unhappy with him. They found an opportunity. They sold him into slavery. Um, number three, uh, a child that could be abandoned by their parent could be absorbed into slavery. And then the one that actually kind of makes sense to me is is. A, a crime. Like if you violated somebody, if you stole, if you did something, you could, your punishment could be that you had to serve them and that you had to go in to pay back for your debt. Um, like you actually had to compensate the person that you violated. And in our society, you violate somebody and you pay the government, which doesn't like, it's, it's like kind of like backwards. Um, and then the final one is by choice. Like, like every person 
uh, in this world, you could be a, a, you know, a doctor, you could be like whatever. There were people who, uh, that they had a debt to pay, they had something, and then they could place themselves into slavery as a, as a bond slave. And so while the Bible is, is somewhat silent on it, kind of dealing with the reality of it, it does say a few things that I think we can sort of apply uh, towards slavery. In Matthew 7, 12, basically there's like the, uh, the you know, one of the golden, treat others as you wish to, be, wish to be treated. And so I don't want to be a slave, and so I don't think I should treat other people like a slave. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses uh, 21 through 23 says this, that if, if you are a slave when you became a Christian, remain as a slave. And it says, if you can gain your freedom, gain your freedom. Like, get out from it as soon as you can, if you can get out from it. And then if you actually are free, don't put yourself into slavery. Um, and I think a lot of that one, I think we could relate to, to debt and going into debt and becoming a slave to, to, th- to things like that. Uh, in Galatians chapter 3, verses 28 through 29, he lists all of these different people, uh, women, male, a whole slew of names, and then he's slave and free. And it says, like, in Christ, we're one. There's no distinction. Um, and then finally, uh, Christ, Christ's example is that he, he came to give his life and to serve. So there is sort of this idea um, that we as Christians should uh, allow ourselves to become servants of other people, that, that, that I want to serve you and that you want to serve me, that we are doing this in love. It's very different than uh, the slavery um, that we're thinking about contextually. But contextually, these are slaves who have now become believers uh, for whatever reason, it doesn't go into this. Um, in our context, in this part of the world, slavery doesn't really exist. However, around the whole world, if you start traveling and going to different parts of the world, kind of parts of the world I don't advise you traveling to, um, um, slavery very much is alive and well. If we go into, like, I don't know that, that the movie that's really got all people shook up that just came out, that, that talks a, about um, girls that are being taken into slavery, that's very much slavery. So it, it very much is happening. happening. And that, that feeling you get in your gut, that's a very Christian feeling in your gut. Like, and something should be done about it. But in a practical sense, it's very easy to, to translate this to like people who are employees and people who are employers is how a lot of people take this to sort of like take it to like, how do we apply this in a practical sense? So in verse 5, we read, Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart with good will, render good, uh, uh, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And so here the person that finds himself in this condition, it's their reality. And so Paul writes to the person that this is your reality. Now that you're a follower of Christ, um, that, that we uh, who are working in our working years, that, that our heart matters, that that when we go to our place of employment, when we do our job, 
we should do it as though we're actually accountable to God and that we, we do it uh, to the best of our ability and that we trust God with the results. Um, I have a friend who's a, a contractor. Like I, I went to high school with his sister and he's a contractor over the years. I've kind of called him with some like questions about like, hey, how do you do this? And he's a believer. And, and I'll never forget one conversation I had with him. And he, I, I said, uh, hey, we're like, whatever we were looking into, I, it doesn't really matter. But I kind of said, I'm like, oh, well, I know a lot of Christians in the world. He's like, I hate to say this. He's like, unfortunately, though, in the, just because they say Christian, sometimes they're like the worst workers. And he's saying this as a Christian. He's saying sometimes, like, he's like, He's like, I wouldn't advise you necessarily to seek out a Christian. Like, just seek out the person who does the best job. And he's like, I, I wish that I could tell you that, hey, if that person carries the name of Christ, they're the, absolutely the best employee like the, or the best contractor, the best guy in this environment. But it was very, like, a sobering and sad reality. Um, but I think this is the heart, that as employees who follow Christ, Christians should be the ones who are in the greatest demand in the workforce because of our, like, our work ethic, our desire to please um, the Lord and to, to do what we can do to the very best of our ability. Then he goes on to the masters who had the authority. He says, and masters, do the same things to them. Give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. And it's like, that's a very... Not a whole lot said there, but a whole lot is said there. It's like that 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 brothers of, in Christ that is your slave, person who's working for you, you treat him as though that's one for whom Christ died because you're going to give an account to your creator in heaven and, and he is not partial. And at the end of the day, this is like he's saying, treat other people as though they're God's children. This doesn't mean that we slack off. Like, I mean, you have to work at work, and, and bosses have to be bosses. And, um, but, but we who are brothers and sisters in Christ, when we go to work, we should all be seeking to please him. Um, super important. Okay, moving to, moving to the conclusion here. Like, what do we do with this? Um, if you go to Colossians chapter 3, you don't have to go to Colossians 3, but Paul kind of expands in Colossians. Like, it's almost... Identical. If you go verses seventeen to twenty-three, a lot of the um, a lot of the things he says are similar. But in verse seventeen, which is different, he says, "Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through Him to God the Father." And so he begins with this: whether you're a, a wife, whether you're a husband, whether you're a child, whether you're a parent, whether you're an employee or you're an employer. However you go about your business, you start out with that you're doing it for the Lord. And you start with gratitude to him. And then as you get to the end of it, sort of the bookend in verse 23, he says, whatever you do, do your work heartily as to the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve, for he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. It's so easy to go through life, and you can fool people. You, 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 you can go out around with a facade, and you can fool the people that you work with. It's harder to fool the people that you live with. Um, 
But the aim of the Christian is ultimately that there's a God who created you. He's overall, he sees all, he's actively and intimately involved in your life. And so whatever the day brings your way, whether it's at work, your home, school, whatever you're doing, you do it as a form of worship to the Lord, to honor him, to be pleasing to him because you carry his name. I'm going to end with two quotes about jobs I thought were really good. I have no idea who said them. Uh, the first quote is, how you conduct yourself at work, <clears throat> at, at your school, within your home, is your testimony, more so than your time at church on Sunday. Your job tells much about your relationship with Christ. And I think this is what Paul is getting at, recognizing that when you're out, you're ambassadors. And so we want to seek to aim him in all areas of our life. And with that, I will close us in prayer. Now, Father, we do thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you. Um, irony, this, uh, I think it's Labor Day weekend. I think that's about work and how you do it. And so, Father, I do. Uh, I just pray, Father, that uh, life is hard and people that we have to encounter can be difficult. People with our families and homes can be hard and harsh. And we all find ourselves in subjection to somebody. And so, Father, I pray uh, for those of us who have given our lives to you, for those of us who seek to honor you with our lives, we pray, Father, that you would help us uh, to yield ourselves to your spirit and that your spirit would, would lead us, guide us, give us patience, give us wisdom, give us discernment, give us a, a, an ethic of, of honoring you and recognizing that um, how we interact with our parents how we interact with our children, how we interact with our spouses, how we interact at our workplace, that this all matters to you. And Father, as we read through this and sort of reflect historically on slavery and we think about the slavery that very much does exist in our world today, I pray, Father, that you would help us um, to do whatever we can do, Lord, to um, just to do the right thing whatever that looks like. And sometimes it's just things are so overwhelming that it's hard for us to even begin to fathom how we can have uh, an actual uh, tangible impact in something that we really don't actually see day to day, but that does exist. And so we look to you, Father, for, for wisdom and guidance. We love you, Lord. And it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen.